This is episode number 19 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We're broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. The mainstream media, the liberal media, has lost their mind. They can no longer be objective, and the conservative now, as I refer to them, state-run media has been totally compromised and completely co-opted. We, however, at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been co-opted. Welcome to the show. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media and join our over 11,000 Twitter followers at our Twitter handle, which is Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. In just a moment, we'll be joined by a, a special guest. He is Matt Lewis, a columnist for the Daily Beast and a commentator for CNN, one of about uh, less than a dozen uh, prominent conservatives who are left in the Trump world, where we still refer to ourselves as so-called never-Trump conservatives. Uh, but uh, Matt's a, a good and reasonable guy and always fun to talk to him. I want to talk to him about a, a bunch of subjects, including uh, the most recent developments with regard to the, the Bill Barr summary of the Mueller report. In episode number 18, of the Individual One podcast, I went through in pretty good detail my theory that Barr had shaded the summary to favor his boss, Donald Trump, and that the report was going to tell a very different story about what really happened with regard to the 2016 election and uh, the Trump relationship with Russia and also Trump's um, efforts to try to obstruct justice in the Russian investigation. And I have to say that it wasn't long after that. In fact, I think it was the night we did that podcast where I, at least it appears that my view on this has been at least somewhat vindicated, if not completely vindicated. And that's because the New York Times, followed by the Washington Post, followed by NBC, all with increasing severity, all reported. And by the way, that's not a coincidence. That's the way this works. The Times reports something that's not that dramatic, but it allows other outlets to have cover for reporting something that's maybe slightly more dramatic. And what the, the Times reported was, hey, there are people within Mueller's team who are not happy with Barr's summary and that they are suggesting that the report itself is going to tell a different story than the impression given by Bill Barr. And this is something I've been saying for weeks and it's very interesting that the Times reports it, it's augmented by the Washington Post, and then NBC takes it even a step further. Now, there's been a lot of criticism of that reporting because of the lack of direct sourcing, which I get. And I get why people can and should be very skeptical of especially anonymous sources. And it's possible that this is all bullcrap. This is all sour grapes by, you know, one of the 33 angry Democrats on, on Mueller's team, as Trump likes to say. My gut does not tell me that. And, and, and the reason why my gut does not tell me that, and it's not just because I want to be vindicated, <laughs> it's because I, I cannot believe, even as cynical as I am about the mainstream news media and how incompetent they are, and how they've lost their objectivity with regard to Donald Trump. I can't believe that after having been burned on Russian collusion and to a large extent obstruction by the, the bar summary, that they're going to double or triple down based upon anonymous sourcing. Now, I, I realize that sounds naive to, to some people, especially to Trump supporters, but I'm sorry, it is far more likely to me that those people around Mueller must really feel strongly about this. One, for them to go to the Times and the Post and NBC. And what they're saying must be rather substantive and credible. Otherwise, the Times, the Post, and NBC would take a pass on this, especially before we've seen the report. That's important. If this came out 
Later, I could see where, okay, that's not that significant because we all know what's in the report. But NBC, the Washington Post, and the New York Times are all taking a leap on this without having seen the report. That tells me either they're just completely moronic, which is is possible. I mean, it is quite possible that that's the case. I I find it hard to believe that they would be that dumb and that they would go right back into uh, getting themselves burned after having just experienced yet another hit to their credibility. I mean, they would really have to be to go back to this well. And so uh, as strange as it sounds for me, the ultimate media critic to say, wait a minute, in a weird way, the way this story comes, come, came out, it sounds credible to me. Now, I realize it dovetails with what I already believe to be true. So that that's a, a red flag in my own analysis. I always, I always account for that. Do I want something to be true or do I, does it fit with what I already believe? And so I, I'm accounting for that there. But I think there's something to this. Now, How much, obviously, is the key point, and I maintain the bottom line is still Trump won, okay? This is, you know, I use the analogy often. Al Davis, Oakland Raiders, just win, baby. Doesn't matter how ugly, doesn't how much you cheat, doesn't how much you scratch and claw, doesn't how much you you lie, doesn't matter how many many times you kick the other guy in the balls, just win, because that's all anyone cares about is win, win, win in the end. And Trump won this. But in a weird way, this these reports this week felt a little bit, if you're a liberal, I'm, I'm not, but it, it must have reminded people of like the 2000 election when the media called Florida for uh, George Bush prematurely and Al Gore is going over to concede the election publicly and he gets a phone call saying, hold on, wait a minute, this might be a screw up. That's what those reports felt a little bit like with regard to the Mueller report. And like Al Gore, I think we're going to get with the, get pretty much the same ending, which is that in the end, Trump will still win. It's just not going to be as clean a victory as Bill Barr had made for him. Because we're going to find out that he did obstruct justice. And we're going to find out that you know what? There might have been collusion, depending on how you define it. It just couldn't be proven. That's that's where I am on what the report's going to say. But we're living in a very short attention span world. And bizarrely, this report is not out yet. I think it's interesting that now it's Democrats who want the report out and Republicans who don't. That should tell you everything you need to know, right? <laughs> Does the report, this has got to be the first time in history that the people who say that their party is exonerated don't want the report out. And those who are saying, uh, hold on a second, let's get to the truth. They want the report out. Uh, it's also interesting to note that Trump himself is still having temper tantrums on Twitter about the, the entire investigation, which he did yesterday. Uh, and telling, as he always does, numerous lies and things that don't make any damn sense. Why is he doing that if this is an exoneration? If he's really going to be exonerated by that, that makes no damn sense. So um, now I know Matt Lewis, our our guest, disagrees with me on some of this, so we'll get into it with him uh, in, in just a few moments. But I wanted to get that out of the way right up front. I also, since we talked about this extensively in, in episode number 18 of the podcast, I want to update on what's going on with Joe Biden, who I consider to be the best chance to beat Donald Trump, assuming, and this is two big assumptions, one, that he can get through a Democratic primary without his legs being blown off, which I'm not sure he can, and number two, that uh, he's not too old so that uh, he's totally lost his fastball. He's got to be able to get it up. All right. I mean, which is ironic given the uh, supposed Me Too allegations against him. Uh, you, you cannot go up against Donald Trump without being able to get it up still, and either literally or figuratively. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm not sure that Biden can still get it up. Uh, and his response to these ridiculous and probably almost entirely bogus Me Too allegations that have a clear political agenda, both in where they're coming from, and in their timing. His response, while it hasn't been awful, I think from a a sentiment perspective, they've been pretty good. I mean, his sentiment is, look, 
I'm paraphrasing, but uh, you know, he put out a a, a, a Twitter video where which frankly wasn't executed all that well, which makes me concerned that he can't get it up. Um, but because after all, it's taped. He could have done this numerous times. I don't know how many takes he did, but the execution wasn't that great. But the sentiment, I thought, was just fine, which was, look, if I offend anybody, I'm really sorry. I realize I got to learn these new rules. I'm going to do the best that I can. He doesn't apologize like he did for being a white male. Uh, some people got upset with him for that. Which you you can't win. I mean, you got to learn from the Al Franken disaster. As soon as you apologize, then you're guilty. And once you're guilty, you're done. There, that that's the thing that Trump should have taught all these people. Politically, you get nothing for apologizing. Nothing. Even if you've actually done wrong. In Biden's case, I don't think Biden's done anything wrong. Maybe a little weird, a little creepy. Who knows? I, I don't even know if I would call it inappropriate. Uh, his, you know, his issue seems to be that he just comes from a different generation and has an, an odd sense of personal boundaries. But his intent, there's no evidence at all that his intent is bad. Uh, and so I think from a sentiment perspective, he's taking pretty much the right path, especially when he has to win a Democratic primary. Um However, again, the execution, not all that great. Uh, he, he did an event this week where he, he actually made a joke about it, which I think is the right way to go. He was opening a, a speech to a rather large crowd uh, after uh, he had been greeted by a woman on stage. And here's what he told the audience. I just want you to know I had permission to hug Lonnie. I, he, he, he that's probably the right way to handle this. You know, Trump went after uh, Biden, which was hilarious. I mean, it, I mean, seriously, <laughs> Mr. Bragging about grabbing pussy is going to go after Joe Biden because people don't like the way he hugs in public. Uh, I mean, that's insane. Correct. Uh, but, you know, this is Trump being Trump. And, uh, you know, Trump has telegraphed pretty much who he sees as the biggest threat to him. And it's clearly uh, Joe Biden. And, you know, the, Trump tweeted out this third grade video of, uh, of a Joe Biden effectively, uh, you know, me tooing Joe Biden doing his own video, um, which was I, that's the president of the United States, ladies and gentlemen. Congratulations. Good work, everybody. Uh, but then Biden retweeted that mocking uh, Trump. So, you know, he's still at least someone around him has a clue about how to do warfare in uh, 2019 against Donald Trump. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not giving up all hope on Joe Biden. And while there have been new allegations, none of them have been particularly serious. They've all been exactly the same kind of stuff. It feels like unless another shoe drops that Joe Biden is going to at least temporarily survive this. And it does appear as if he wants to run because that's the key issue here. I mean, in my opinion, the timing of this was all about getting Joe Biden to not run because it's it's weirdly easier to attack him before he runs once he's then once he becomes the Democratic frontrunner, which he would probably be either him or Sanders, depending on how the polls are. But from frankly, I do not believe Bernie Sanders is going to be the nominee. Uh, but from in perception, from a perception standpoint, you got Biden as either the front runner or the co-front runner with Bernie Sanders if, in fact, he gets in. And so there is a scenario, and I always hate being optimistic because whenever I'm optimistic, I'm wrong. But and again, I'm not a big Joe Biden fan. Let me be clear about that. But we're in desperate, desperate times. <laughs> Call for desperate measures. So uh, I, I hate when I'm optimistic, but there is a scenario here where Biden may be able to get this issue behind him before he even runs, which would be positive for him and would at least give him a shot at getting through the Democratic primary in a way where he could still be a formidable opponent for uh, Donald Trump. Now, he would still have a lot of other challenges. I mean, there's still a whole bunch of it's a whole you know whole career of his since 1972 or whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, things that Joe Biden did in the 1970s are going to seem awfully odd to the Democrats of 2019, and that's going to be a, a problem. 
how he gets through that in a multi-person race where everyone's attacking him and where all the energy is on the progressive side, I do not know. But, uh, you know, there's not too many other options. I wrote a column this week. I want to make sure that you see, make sure you Google it or find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com where I go through all the other challengers that have a chance to win the Democratic nomination and why it is that Joe Biden is clearly, at least right now, the guy with the best chance to beat Donald Trump. And so Democrats, they won't do this. They won't be this smart. But they need to be making a decision. If you get rid of Joe Biden, you're increasing the chances that uh, Donald Trump is going to be your nominee. Not just your nominee. Let me check that. Not your nominee, but your next president for the next four years. And the four years of Trump reelected are going to be very, very different and possibly much, much worse than the first couple of years we've seen where he still at least has to worry about being reelected. And also, by the way, <laughs> potentially being indicted after he leaves office, which is a whole other issue, which is uh, partially why he wants to be reelected. So um, so that's the issue of Joe Biden. Um, there are other things that have gone on in the news, but I want to bring in our guest, and we'll talk about it, as much of it as we possibly can. Uh, he's a friend of mine. Uh, he's a really good guy, smart guy. He's a conservative. Uh, he's one of the few that have uh, stayed firm in being effectively a never-Trump never conservative. He's a columnist for the Daily Beast and a commentator for CNN. Uh, his name is Matt Lewis, and he joins us now. Always great to talk to you, Matt, uh, largely because uh, we talk about the same things very often. In fact, sometimes we write columns about the same subject matter <laughs> on the same days, which actually happened uh, this week, almost the same subject matter. Uh, although you're, a, um, you know, you're much more uh, uh, dignified and calmer version of uh, John Ziegler, so that's why I like talking to, uh, to you. Uh, we often have similar but slightly different perspectives on on subjects that we find to be interesting. So I want to go through several of them that are in the news now. And I want to take you back, Matt, because we haven't spoken since this happened, to the uh, the Bill Barr summary of the Mueller report. And I'm curious, what was your reaction, your initial reaction to the Bill Barr summary? I think my initial reaction was really good for Donald Trump. And... Um, look, I'm sure that there's a lot of stuff in the report we're gonna we're gonna see, but by and large, I think it was representative of what's going to come out. Um, I can't imagine that Barr would misrepresent entirely the Mueller report, and that Mueller would just sort of stay quiet about it, you know, for weeks on end. Um, so I thought it was really good for Trump, and, and you know, kind of the media would be hardest hit. Because the media had been, uh, you know, beating the drum that this was going to be horrible for Donald Trump and that, that it would be, uh, you know, really kind of like egg on their face. And so has that opinion shifted at all, especially considering some of the, the reporting this week that indicates, just as you suggested, you could not imagine that perhaps Bill Barr did at least shade that summary in a very positive way towards Donald Trump, at least based upon the New York Times and the Washington Post and NBC. What did you make of that reporting? I'm pretty much where I was in the sense that I think when it comes to, like, the smoking gun of collusion, obviously there's nothing there. Obviously they weren't able to, um, or, or Mueller decided not to pursue obstruction of justice. But even if you take that away, there's a lot of weird, shady stuff that we already knew about, and we already knew about Trump saying, hey, Russia, if you have her emails, you know, <laughs> we already knew about the, the Trump Tower meeting. We already knew about Michael Cohen uh, trying to arrange, arrange a, a, a Moscow Trump Tower. So I think that there was a lot of weird and unseemly stuff that we know about. But in terms of something that's going to be a game changer, I, I think it's I don't think it's going to happen. In fact, the interesting thing to me is that that. Trump's polling hasn't really shifted. You know, this should have been great news for him, and he's basically well, just treading water. Well, not a, a word of the Mueller report has actually come out yet, so I don't know why opinions would dramatically change. I'm, I'm struck that you and I do have a bit of a disagreement about the uh, not the bottom line. I agree with you in the bottom line. This will be a W for Donald Trump, but just a matter of how big the W is. Uh, and uh, But I still would like to find out what the truth is. 
And I want to go back to this issue of, of Barr shading that summary. Uh, first of all, uh, he was clearly chosen for one reason and one reason only for the job, which was that he had already telegraphed to Trump that he was uh, of this opinion regarding obstruction of justice. And uh, he's conflicted all over the place. Not only did he just get the job out of mothballs uh, from Donald Trump, but his own son-in-law works for Donald Trump. So uh, I'm, I'm a bit amazed that you put so much faith in Barr. But I'm also amazed, Matt, that you don't seem to find any significance to that reporting that I referred to by The Times and, and The Post and NBC. You know very, very well. Uh, you know, being there in, in D.C. and having uh, been in this world for a very long time, how leaks work. And the way I interpret those leaks was uh, was in a very credible fashion, because otherwise the Times, the Post and the NBC would have to be utterly insane, given having having uh, been burned once before and made to look like fools with the initial summary for them to say, hold on, wait a minute. Uh, Mueller's people are saying this isn't true. Now they're setting themselves up for a, a second fall. So that would don't you believe that the Times, the Post, and NBC had to feel pretty darn confident that there was at least some shading going on here? I think you have more faith in the media than I have. I I think <laughs> that there is this Trump. There, even even though I'm a Trump skeptic and and always have been, uh, and and classified as a never Trumper, I think there is this Trump derangement syndrome. And I don't. I would not be surprised if the media were to uh, fall prey to it once again. Really? And I think one. You know, talk about learning lessons. I think one of the lessons that we should learn is just these these leaks. Don't believe them. I mean, if, if these go, you know, make a statement, go public, hold a press conference. I don't know, but but I am very skeptical okay. of these un, unnamed sources uh, that that come out days or weeks later so that's interesting see that's very interesting to me matt because so so you think i mean this this is fascinating to me so you think and i'm not not saying you're wrong you could very well be right but you think that the new york times the washington post and nbc all uh, got uh, effectively secondhand it sounds like leaks from Mueller's people which you you would normally see i guess the way i'm looking at this matt is if for it not to be directly from Mueller, it would have to be really good. Otherwise, you wouldn't go with that. But you're saying the media is so deranged that they actually would, even after having been burned by Barr the first time. Yeah, look, I think it's totally possible that, that these are some people who are involved in putting together the Mueller report. And they don't like the way that it's been framed. They don't like the way the Barr summarized it. But that doesn't take away the, the two big takeaways, <laughs> which are, well, number one, no collusion, but hold, 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 and number two... Well, that well, well hold on a second. No, no, no. Not to- but Matt, Matt, again, I, I, I want to see the report, and uh, but... You're saying that the, the, the two takeaways are deadlock cinches, no collusion, and, and no uh, determination on obstruction. Yeah. Uh, but but what if what if collusion is uh, well? We couldn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Although here's a ton of evidence of collusion, and I, Robert Mueller, don't believe it's my position to be. Uh, determining whether or not the president should be indicted for obstruction. I'm going to leave that up to you. And then Barr makes an overtly political decision in contrary to the, the basis of the entire report. That sounds plausible to me, underline plausible, based upon these these most recent stories to which I just referred with leaks from the Mueller team. What's wrong with that thinking? Well, I, I agree. I, I think that the second one is more likely. Um, that he made a judgment call about obstruction of justice. And that is premised on the notion that if there was no original sin, if there was no original, you know, crime, then any sort of cover-up would be uh, a moot point. Now, that's not always how, <laughs> that's not always how it's treated in, in the legal community, but um, that is apparently the determination that he made. I think that but but Barr made it. Barr Barr made it though. It's, Matt, it's important to point out it's that Barr made it. 
But and, and Barr is conflicted, and you know, I, I, I'm not saying you agree with that assessment, but let's let's just make sure we understand how absurd that concept is. What Barr is saying is, if the president is successful enough in obstructing justice that you can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt an underlying crime, then there can be no obstruction of justice, which is asinine. That's an asinine premise. So, I mean, to me, it comes down to the question of, did Barr, uh, I think there's no doubt that, that Barr framed this in a way that is favorable to Trump. And I think that's not shocking. I think the real, fundamentally, the question is, did he misrepresent the Mueller report? And I find that hard to believe. I, I think why? Why is that hard to believe? Why, why is that hard to believe, Matt? Well, I think for two reasons. One, although I think you're absolutely right that Barr telegraphed his philosophy, shall we say, um, on, you know, presidential prerogatives, he is still a serious person. I mean, this is a guy who was, uh, he's kind of been out of the game, but he was a credible, serious person, sort of the way that I would say Robert Mueller is. But the other thing is the fact that Robert Mueller has remained silent on this. I just find it hard to believe that he that he would have sat by for weeks if it were wildly misrepresented. And maybe I mean it's possible that I'm wrong about that, but that well, that doesn't seem plausible. I under well, there's let me take on both of the, your premises, okay? Um, and I'm not saying they're wrong, um, but there are a lot of very credible quote unquote people who in once they get in the orbit of Donald Trump are no longer credible right. people. That's, you understand that's that. That's true. Okay. So yeah. so I'm not buying this Bill Barr would never do such a well th- tell tell me that about Mitt Romney. Tell me that about Lindsey Graham. Tell me that about Ron Paul. Tell me about a, a whole lot of other people who uh, I thought were somewhat credible uh, before they got into Donald Trump's orbit. Uh, so uh, and, and and Barr is can is is particularly conflicted. Now that doesn't prove it, but that doesn't the, the idea that this is impossible to conceive of is is just doesn't doesn't ring true with me. Um, and and as far as Mueller's reaction, well, uh, I get it. That's logical. Except Mueller doesn't seem to be like a guy who's in a big hurry. He's gonna testify in front of Congress. He's gonna get his say here. And obviously, based upon the reporting that I referred to in the Times, the Post, and NBC this week, people around Mueller don't feel any restriction in in going to the press and saying, wait a minute, there's something not right here. Don't you think that they would only do that if if they had some sort of blessing from Robert Mueller? Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that's true. Um, okay. I think that people leak and that Mueller may or may not uh, tacitly endorse that. But I, I just don't think Mueller would sit by, and I'll tell you why. Because in this business, perception is reality. And unless there is some real smoking gun that would make uh, President Trump you know, culpable and liable in, in a legal sense, the verdict is in on the, this report. So the summary has locked into people's minds that Trump has been exonerated. Mm-hmm. And I agree. To allow that to happen, if you knew different, I think would be a, a, a huge mistake from a well, uh, uh, when, PR standpoint. My last point on this, because I don't want to belabor because there's other things I want to talk to you about, but I, I think that Mueller could be in a very difficult spot because I think what Barr wrote was technically true. Because you can, when you say not exonerated, for instance, you know, right. my gosh, O.J. Simpson was not exonerated. <laughs> okay, so, so I mean that is that is a loophole through which you can drive a proverbial Mack truck. Okay, so so what what what's Mueller supposed to say at this point? Um, he so I, I don't necessarily think that you could put all your eggs in the well. Robert Mueller would would uh, fix this if it was a misrepresentation. One because he knows he's going to have his say. Two, Mueller's an older guy. He's old school. He, this is not about to him. This is not a political game. He's about you know what the law is. 
And, and, and so since Barr didn't say anything that was technically incorrect, then, uh, then what's he going to do? He could still have misrepresented it. And, I, and, and, and to me, I, I guess where we differ is in the, uh, the value we see in those leaks. Because I, I get that. Yeah. I, I, I look, I, no one has, it's funny that you said that I have more faith in the media than you do, because no one has more disdain for the news media than I do. But, but think about all the times the media has gotten these stories wrong. I mean, like whether it's BuzzFeed or, or whatever. I mean, there have been so many times. Well, hold on media. a second. Okay. Now, you mentioned the BuzzFeed story. And I am not convinced the BuzzFeed story. I think you're talking about Michael Cohen, right? With regard to um, uh, you know suborning his perjury to Congress over the Russian right. uh, Moscow event. Now that's fascinating to me that you cite that because I, I am convinced that there, there there is still plenty of evidence that the BuzzFeed story, in its essence, was true. In fact, we learned this week. And it's a bizarre story. It didn't get much play, I think, because the media is is terrified of, of Michael Cohen and, and, and the BuzzFeed thing. And so, therefore, you know, they don't want to put their, their hand on the stove again. But you probably saw that Cohen now claims he, he accessed the hard drive where he has evidence of exactly what BuzzFeed reported, which was that he was suborned in his perjury to say that that Moscow Tower uh, um, project ended in January of 2016 before the Republican primaries began. What do you make of that? Well, I didn't see this latest thing, but just my recollection of the of the story, and it was just one of, of many examples, but it was where uh, the allegation is that Trump told Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. Michael Cohen went before Congress. And he had flipped on Donald Trump. He had no incentive not to cop to this, um, and yet he still denied that. That's so, no, no, he didn't deny it, Matt. He, he, that's not what he said. <laughs> he, 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 he said it wasn't directly told, but he, that the message was clear from the from what uh, what Trump was telling him in what I think he referred to it as code language. But here's the here's the key thing, and I, it's amazing to me that, to my knowledge, Cohen has not been asked this. This was not a, a yes or no lie that Cohen told. This was a specific, it ended in January of 2016, when we now know it probably went through the entire 2016 presidential campaign. Where did Michael Cohen get the idea to lie that it ended in January? That had to come from someplace, Matt. So where would that have come from? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll admit it's one of the many things that's super sketchy. <laughs> okay. All right. Sketchy. All right. So, so we, we have a difference of opinion on on what the Mueller report is gonna gonna find. I think it's gonna be more damaging uh, to Trump than I think you do, and I think uh, I have more faith in the media, which is bizarre, and you have yeah, more you you have more faith in Bill Barr, which I think is a bit bizarre. Um, but okay. All right. So th- that's that's about as strong a disagreement as you and I are ever gonna have on anything. <laughs> let's let's move on to, to some other subjects. Um, you, you and I have um, both written about the, the state of Joe Biden and uh, whether or not Joe Biden uh, can get through a Democratic primary, whether or not uh, Democrats in general are too woke uh, for their own good and whether or not they're setting up uh, Donald Trump for reelection. Give us your general as- assessment of that issue. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to shake out. Um, but I do think that Democrats are in danger of blowing this golden opportunity um, to go up against a pretty vulnerable Republican incumbent. And it's, they're handicapping themselves. I mean, to use a politically incorrect term, you know, and you get on the list, right? Joe Biden arguably is the best prepared to win the Electoral College, to win Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, those kinds of working class states. And yet Joe Biden, it's not just this latest, the allegations of, of you know, unwanted touching or, 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 or whatever, um, but it's going to be Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas and all sorts of gaps from his past. They may make it, well, heck, they may even scare him out of the race. I think it looks like he's going to get in, but I'm not convinced that Joe Biden, an old white dude with a lot of baggage, can survive in this toxic 21st century woke milieu. Uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, there was a 
you know, slate pitch piece. You're saying, you know, because he's a white dude, uh, he's not gay enough, um, even though he would be a, historically the first gay, openly gay president. And you get on the left, it's, you know, Elizabeth Warren. She handicapped her own campaign, swearing off high-dollar fundraisers, even though she can't compete with Bernie and Beto. Um, speaking of them, uh, Beto had to apologize for white privilege. Bernie himself, his campaign is unionized. I mean, you just basically do that, go down the list. And each of them, instead of making decisions based on political strategy, or what might benefit their campaign in the primary and the general election, they're making big strategic decisions based on ideology. And um, it's a weird, weird thing that's happening. But I just I wonder the the ultimately it may end up electing Donald re-electing Donald Trump. Well, I wrote a column about this this week where I went through each of those that I thought could potentially win the Democratic nominating nomination. And let's be clear, all the energy is on the woke side, the, the extreme progressive side there. And I and I tend to agree with you that Biden's going to have an exceedingly difficult time getting through what some are referring to as the woke Olympics because he is too old with too much baggage. I mean, we're in a, we're in a world now where where when you actually have a record and you have experience, especially when a lot of that experience occurred in a, in a different generation that now looks to to younger progressives like uh, you're, you're not woke enough, that that's going to be a problem. They'd rather have someone who's a blank slate that they can put all their hopes and dreams into and fall in love with. And I don't see any of the fall in love people having any shot uh, at Donald Trump. I think uh, Sanders plays into his hands by making the, the, the campaign about socialism rather than about Trump. Uh, I think uh, Beto's too weird. I think uh, Warren's DNA test uh, makes her dead in, on arrival against against the Trump. Uh, I, I think that um, Kamala Harris is too Californian. And I think she's got uh, you know progressive issues. Cory Booker's just in too insincere. Uh, he would get uh, torn apart by by Donald Trump. And then that gets us to to Mayor Pete. And um, you know, like you, I have been fascinated by the the Mayor Pete phenomenon. Uh, and I do think it's absurd that liberals, some liberals, have been saying, "Well, wait a minute, is he gay enough?" But what I'm more fascinated by, uh, Matt, and I, I want to get your take on this is. I find that most liberals are pretending that he's not gay at all, as if being gay, even in 2020, wouldn't be a death sentence against a Donald Trump. This, to me, is is a fantasy on the part of liberals, that they think that they're going to be able to get a 37, then 38-year-old gay man elected president against a Donald Trump that will be using that issue on a daily basis to attack him. What's your take on that? I think we're different on this one too. Um, I, I'm more. I think I'm more bullish on Buttigieg than you are. I think he's he's uh, so he's mayor of this small town, South Bend, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Which uh, it's interesting to be mayor of that town. He had to navigate some some different cross currents. It's obviously Catholic. Uh, Notre Dame is there, but you've also got kind of a working class ethnic community blighted neighborhoods that he's helped to restore. Um, as as the slate people pointed out, he doesn't, quote, seem gay, um, which to them was a strike against him. I think in a general election um, that I I think we're past it. I, I, <laughs> I do. I do. Matt, I Matt, a deal. Matt, this, guy's, this guy's a veteran. Matt. He's a Rhodes Scholar. <laughs> Matt, I like Pete. I, I I don't care that he's gay, all right? I, I, I think he's too inexperienced to be president, and I think you're giving him too much credit about winning an election in South Bend, Indiana. South Bend is an ex, is a, a Democratic stronghold. All he had to do was win the Democratic primary. Uh, he got crushed in his only statewide race in Indiana. Uh, I think it was state treasurer. Uh, so, I mean, this is, this is not, um, you know, some sort of magic man we're talking about here. But uh, you, you obviously understand that this election is not uh, a, a popular vote. Yeah, he would run up huge margins in California and New York and Illinois and places the Democrats are already going to win. Have you been 
to central Pennsylvania recently? Have you been to the panhandle of Florida recently? The, the idea that we're over the idea that a 38-year-old man would be gay and president is delusional. Del- I mean, and, and against— Well, I think I would, I would say, to your point, you know, I think if Democrats want to really analyze how they can beat Donald Trump, then— Obviously, they should look to the Electoral College because obviously winning the popular vote isn't enough. And if that's the if that's the way that you view the race, and that makes a lot of sense, then I think that's a real strong case for like a Joe Biden or maybe an Amy Klobuchar. I mean, I'll grant you that. Um, I think that most of America will be perfectly fine with Mayor Pete, but you know, it very well could be that that uh, if your goal is to flip the Rust Belt. Um, that it, it may be, but again, the guy does represent uh, a, a town in Indiana. I'm not saying that that it's replicable, um, but I think that is the biggest argument for Joe Biden, to be honest. Well, I, which I have been making consistently, and I agree with, although we both agree that he's going to have a difficult time if he decides to run getting the nomination, at least getting the nomination in a way that doesn't handicap him uh, in a general election. But I, I, I want to go back to Mayor P for a second here, though. The part of this equation that I find almost hilarious, even more hilarious than the idea that it's not still an issue. I'm not saying that it's, um, you know, it's certainly not as big an issue as it would have been 10, 20 years ago. I get that. And 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 I think we're moving in the right direction. But I just do not believe that all the states that he would need to win are there yet. Uh, and but more, but more hilariously than that is, do you think, Matt Lewis, that if that if Mayor Pete was heterosexual with a with a white wife and you know two white kids, <laughs> that the Democratic primary would give a rat's ass about a white thirty-seven year old mayor from South Bend, Indiana? That they, no matter how intelligent, no matter how his military background meshes with what they want, they wouldn't give a damn about him if he wasn't gay. Am I not right about that? I think you're. I think you're right. I mean, I think they should. He's. He's obviously. I mean, just watch the guy. He's got a certain charisma. He's got. He's got talent. But I think that in this day and age. If you want to survive in the Democratic, I mean, and again, he's not even gay enough for some <laughs> for some liberals. Um, I think you have to have something, right? I mean, it's the intersectional uh, social justice thing, um, and yeah, I, I think you're. I mean, I think you're probably right. I don't think he could get as far as he's gotten in a Democratic primary without having something. Um, maybe if you were, I don't know cancer survivor or you have to have something something other than just being you can't be a white male you can't be a heterosexual white male from from the midwest i i mean with no experience with no experience i mean what he would without being gay his biography doesn't grow he his tree can't grow in a democratic primary now by the way the media is grossly exaggerating how large his tree already is. I mean, he's he's in, he's in single digits in every poll. It's not like he, he's somehow uh, Obama in late 2007. Now, he could theoretically be. But don't you think the media is jumping the gun a bit on this whole Mayor Pete thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we always pick people. I mean, Michelle Bachman had a moment. Herman Cain had a moment. Mike Huckabee had a moment. Um, Howard Dean had a year. Um, so, yeah, it, this is something that the media does, is, is, is glom on to people. But having said that, I, I, think, I think he has a chance to, um, to rise to the occasion, right? So what happens is you can be like the flavor of the day, but then usually people can't sustain it. They just don't have uh, – they don't have – the, the infrastructure or the, the intellectual capital to, like, sustain the attention, and they fall apart. And I think that Mayor Pete actually has the potential to to catch on and, and to parlay this into more than just 15 minutes. I agree with that. I, I totally agree. I just think it is borderline delusional to think that his homosexuality is not going to be a general election campaign issue against 
Donald Trump. If he was running against Mitt Romney, then it wouldn't be an issue. And most people would go to the polls probably not even knowing about it because the media yeah. would, would pretend that it didn't exist. Trump, his, his, the first four letters of his last name are B-U-T-T. You, how, many, <laughs> how, how many nicknames are, is, would Donald Trump come up with for, for Mayor Pete based upon that alone? I mean, come on. He calls Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. What's he going to do to Mayor Pete? I admit that did not, uh, that did not occur to me until, <laughs> until you just pointed it out. And, yes, that's how Donald Trump – Donald Trump probably has already made notes on that. I do think, I do think that, that temperament and um, – I mean, Buttigieg feels moderate. He feels – like a breath of fresh air mm. and moderate and not radical and not extreme. And therefore, I think that he is probably less damaged by, by that issue than if he, if he came across as someone who had a radical agenda. Um, I think it would be much more damaging to him in a general election. But, you know, he's again, pretty, he's pretty has, darn liberal, Matt. I mean, that's the, Donald he, Trump hasn't gotten to work on him yet. Oh, uh, uh, Donald Trump! Uh, it, it, it you, you, you see, I guess a lot, you and I are both Trump critics. But there's one thing you got to give Trump: if you are going to go into battle with Donald Trump, you better put your big boy pants on. I mean, you are going to yeah. get you are going to get shredded, and and it's even worse now that he's president because you know how the media works. It's one thing for. A, uh, a primary candidate to attack a guy, that doesn't get that much credibility. It's another thing for a, a major party nominee to attack somebody, that gets more credibility. When you're doing it as the president of the United States on a daily basis, the media has no choice but to give it credibility and to report it every single day. That gives him an enormous power to destroy somebody. And nobody knows yeah, they that. Can just yeah, you can justify it and be like, look, we would never normally report this, but if the president says it, it's a news story. Exactly. That gives him a yeah. huge leverage, which is why Mayor Pete would get incinerated. Incinerated. I mean, it's just... I, I just, I, I feel like Mayor Pete, look, anybody who goes up against Trump, though, is going to have to be able to face the mockery. Um and there are certain people that I think could do it better than others. Like, I think the, the worst people would be Corey and Gillibrand and Warren. Um, I, I just don't think they could stand up to it. I think that Beto and Buttigieg could sort of out-hip him, like out-youth him, like, okay, old man. Um, I get that. Sort of I get that. I get that. And I, think, in, and I think Biden could also. I think Biden's the other guy who could kind of go up against him. Not out. Certainly not out youth him, but um, but maybe sort of fight fire with fire a little bit. No, I get what you're saying, Matt. What I think the difference is is that I'm still looking at the electoral college, and yeah. in, and so in a popular vote. I like, again, I like Mayor Pete. I think he could, for a huge portion of the population, uh, you know, out hip, out cool, you know, show that he's classier than Trump, uh, you know, that he's above it all, he's smarter than Trump. All that would appeal to a lot of people. I'm just telling you that uh, in the states where this election is going to be determined, uh, I just, I'm, I don't think we're there. I just do not think we're there, especially, by the way, for a 37, 38-year-old guy who's the mayor of a small town. I mean, if it, it would be different if this was somebody who we knew really well. Uh, and yeah, what do you and, think if he's the running, like, what if he became the running mate? I think it's an issue even that? as the running mate, but I, I, I think it's le- much, much less of an issue. I think he would be a good running mate, but for whom? It would, who does he pair with? Because it, yeah. because if it's it, let's say it's Harris Buttigieg, right? That now now you've got no heterosexual male on the ticket, and 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 so now uh, the uh, Trump gets uh, what eighty percent of the white male vote. <laughs> I mean, I, and 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 a huge portion of the of the white uh, female vote. Uh, I mean, you're putting yourself in a in, in many states in a very difficult spot right off the bat, and it you know and if. And, and obviously, there needs to be a woman on the ticket. I mean, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just looking at this from the perspective of how do you, you you can't get through me me too and not put a woman yeah, on your ticket. Biden, Biden probably can't pick 
Buttigieg, right? I mean, Biden would have to pick Stacey Abrams or something, apparently. I mean, this, by the way, this ties into my argument about um, how Democrats are imposing the, these these woke litmus tests on themselves that are actually going to hurt themselves, right? If he if Biden is forced to pick a bad running mate to appease the the social justice warriors, then that's that's not helpful. And, and by the way, I, you'll appreciate this, John, but. But the premise of my column is I cited uh, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, and the rule was to hold your enemy to their own high standards. And, and my point is Democrats are doing that to themselves. They're not doing it to the enemy. They're, they're holding themselves to this orthodoxy, which is essentially a religion that they've created. So That's a very good point and very well stated. Now, uh, since every time we speak to you, Matt, uh, we kind of take the temperature of what's left of the uh, so-called Never Trump conservative movement. There's about uh, seven or eight of us left, I think. Uh, maybe the best, the only, the, I don't it's the, it's certainly not the only good thing, but one of the best things about uh, Trump is that he certainly has uh, forced conservatives to show who, who's for real and who was, who was for business. Uh, and, and we found out an awful lot. In fact, some, sometimes we've been very disappointed and very surprised. Uh, I believe that we did an interview together. I think you were interviewing me on your podcast a few months ago where the issue of, of Glenn Beck and Eric Erickson came up. And my recollection, although correct me if I'm wrong, was that, that you were uh, kind of sympathetic to, to both of them and, and unwilling to, to really be very critical of them. And then since that time, both of them have effectively endorsed Donald Trump in 2020. Were you surprised by that? And what's your take on those? Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's interesting. I'm probably less. I know. I know you've had some good relationships uh, with Glenn. I, I don't know Glenn, and I'm not as surprised by him. Um, Eric, I think. Um, you know, I, 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 there are a couple things at play there. I, I think Eric. Um. First of all, I think Mike Pence probably played a, a big part uh, in, in kind of the wooing of Eric Erickson. Um, and I think Eric does put a lot of stock in personal relationships. Like, uh, you know, you'll see him quite often defend people. Like, um, he'll say, like, I know, um, fill in the blank, it could be someone that, like, worked at Fox News or whatever, and they're a good person, you know, and um, – so he's he's kind of willing to kind of uh, put his you know uh, put a lot of stock in those personal relationships. I also just think I mean people don't realize we want if you're a conservative or if you're a Republican your natural state is to be a Republican or to be a conservative. Like I know there are certain people who have like really dined out by. Um, by the strange new respect you get when you criticize your own seat. Right. Right? But I think for the vast majority of people who are conservatives and or Republicans, our default mode, like we want to be on the team. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that, that it's hard to underestimate how powerful that urge is. And I think that... Um, no, I get, I get it. Although you're giving you're giving Eric too much credit. Eric got a phone call from Donald Trump, and he and he got his ego uh, stroked, and uh, and he decided to sell out. And and Eric's, a, in my opinion, Eric's a a fraud. I mean, Eric is, is it, a Eric's is a. It, but put, okay, but is it sell out like cash in, or is it is flattery like? Well, it's both. Like the, it's both. It's it's where the audience is, and and you think you're important because the president called you. It, it, d- Matt, do you think there's any chance in the world that I change my opinion about Donald Trump if Donald Trump gives me a phone call? You think there's any chance no, in the world? You're a um, you're a contrarian, pain in the ass, and we love that about you. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't think you would flip. I I I don't think you would. I, um, but I also think they're different. I think they're like different gradations of people um, who who are seduced, and I do think that you could make an argument like like the Ben Shapiro argument, which is um, look like the damage that would have been done by Trump winning has been done, right? Like he's messed up the brand of the Republican Party, he's upended the social fabric of the country. Mm-hmm. Now I can either like complain about him and get these crazy left wingers like mm-hmm. AOC and mm-hmm. Rashida Tlaib and or or we can get 
conservative judges and tax cuts, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's like the calculation that, that some people make. And I I would understand that calculation if not for a couple of things. One, it's it's obviously a rationalization to do what's in your own best interest from a business standpoint. But more importantly than that for the country, and I, and I think this is an issue that really, if, that especially Democrats need to bring home in 2020, uh, you know, depending on who their candidate is. Matt, and I, 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 I'm curious if you agree with this. We're talking about a completely different animal, Donald Trump reelected with no accountability, than we are Donald Trump in a first term. It, that is a completely different level of likely insanity. Do you, do you not see that? You know what? I, I saw somebody at the Bulwark wrote a column last week making that argument. It's like Trump unhinged, right? Trump, un, Trump unchecked. Um, I, I, I don't know. I have to think about that. I, I, I don't. I don't know because part of it is I have a hard time believing that Trump could be any more unhinged. <laughs> oh, he can be a lot more unhinged. That Trump not uh, facing that Trump not facing a reelection yeah. would suddenly become like liberated to do to do and say what he wants to no, do. No, he would be tweeting he would be tweeting dick pics by uh, year 5 or 6. It would be other people's dick pics, but it would be right. um and 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 in all, and on a more serious note, if you're the Republican Party, uh take a look at that uh 2022 midterm election and 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 think for yourself what Donald Trump's incentives are. Uh Donald Trump would want Republicans to lose ginormously in 2022. Uh, Just out of the chaos of of the man, out of vindictiveness of the fact that those Republicans didn't get what he wanted done, uh, he he would have zero, zero holding him in check for those 2022 elections. It would be a bloodbath. The other thing, of course, is eight years of Donald Trump means it really, you know, it's probably too late now to turn back. But after eight years of Donald Trump, you've got like a whole generation of people who grew up with Donald Trump. And so if you're a Republican who came of age at that time, you're a Donald Trump Republican. And if you're turned off to Donald Trump, you're turned off for a a long time to the Republican Party. So like Trumpism will have been like eight years of it, and then who knows what would happen after that, like if, if Pence or someone else inherits the mantle. So, like, yeah, I mean, I, the, the thing, though, is, like, if, look, if Democrats nominate a Pete Buttigieg and, and, or even a Joe Biden, and they have a sister-soldier moment, um, that might be different. But, man, if they go hard left, like, like I think you think that they're inclined to do, I think I probably do, too, then it becomes like, what what do we do? Like, are, you right. Know, what, well, that's my last question for that's my last question for you, yeah. Matt. So it it sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong. Sounds like if it's Biden or Mayor Pete, you would be fine supporting them over a reelected Donald Trump. Is that accurate, by the way? No, no. But just because, I mean, like the only politician that I've heard in the last year that might run. I don't think he will. That I would that I would actually support is Justin Amash if he, if he were to run as a libertarian. So you would I mean, what would you do? Would you would you would sit that out? You would sit out a general election? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I I would. I mean, part of it's because I view myself. I try I try hard to be like this intellectually uh, you know intellectually honest journalist. And I mean, there are things like. I'm pro-life, and to me, that's a big, big deal. And so, I couldn't really, in good conscience, support a candidate. This is just one example. Well, a, I, a liberal candidate. I understand that. I understand that totally. Because after all, yeah. Donald Trump um, was able to make uh, abortion illegal and and banned abortion, right. and abortion no longer exists in America. So, you, as a, a person who feels strongly about abortion, really should be very loyal to Donald Trump. Except none of those things well, I happened. Support him either. In good conscience, I couldn't support Trump either. So, I mean, like, maybe this is like me being privileged to like or to not make a choice, right? Like, I'm just mm-hmm. not buying into which the premise that like I have to vote. Which Democratic uh, frontrunners, if they won the nomination, would cause you to actually either publicly or secretly root for Donald Trump's reelection? Oh, uh, I mean, I think Bernie is one of them. Mm-hmm. Right. I might Bernie be there too. By the way, I might be right there with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I think, and part of it too is it depends what day you ask me. I mean, there are, there are days, there have been there have been days in the past couple of years where I've been like, Donald Trump ain't that bad, <laughs> you know. And then every time, any time that he gets me to the point where I'm like, well, Donald Trump's okay, uh, within you know twenty, and I always I I never do what Eric Erickson did, right? Which is which has come out and, and, and publicly stated because I always know. <laughs> that within 24 hours, Trump will do something to embarrass me. So. That's that's smart, smart move on your part, Matt Lewis. That's why we love you. All right. Well, Matt, thanks so much for your time. As always, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. And uh, and where can people find you? Thank you, John. Check me out hey, on Twitter at Matt K. Lewis. Uh, read my columns at The Daily Beast and occasionally on your TV on CNN. Thanks so much, Matt. So that'll do it for this edition of the Individual One podcast. Episode 19 is in the books, as is always the case. We end the podcast with a a uh, recap on the percentages, the two most important percentages as far as whether or not Donald Trump will finish his first term in office and whether or not he'll be reelected. There's been a very slight adjustment to the numbers this week. Again, please, no wagering. I'm going to tick up the percentage of chance, uh, although as minute as it is, that Trump will not finish his first term up to 6% based upon the reporting in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and NBC that we referred to several times. And I'm going to tick down slightly based upon the fact that uh, Joe Biden does not appear to be DOA as of yet to 52% the chances of Donald Trump being reelected as president of the United States. Until uh, next time, which will be a Wednesday, and by the way, on Wednesday, we're scheduled to be joined by the managing editor of BuzzFeed, Ben Smith. So really looking forward to that uh, for reasons that uh, we alluded to during my interview with Matt Lewis. So make sure you uh, make sure you share this, uh, rate this, review it, share it via social media. Join us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. And until uh, next Wednesday, Los Angeles morning time, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network. 